You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. Prayer, Jay. Thanks for uh, touching the heart of God. And uh, just uh, if you're a visitor with us this morning, we're glad that you have joined us to uh, worship the Lord with this expression of his body. And uh, just make yourself at home. Um, the uh, upcoming events this week, uh, be sure and read tomorrow's uh, what's happening this week because uh, we'll post a link in there to all of the um, City Fest activities. Um, so there's a men's luncheon, there's a women's luncheon, there's a rodeo. Uh, I'm not sure what night the rodeo is. Does anybody know? Wednesday night is the rodeo. Um, so it uh, should be a really good time. Um, and then uh, next Saturday and Sunday are going to be like the main events downtown uh, that we've been uh, praying about and planning for. Um, and they need volunteers for setup. They need volunteers for teardown. Uh, they need volunteers for leading, for, for praying for people. Uh, and all of those things you can sign up for online. Um, if you want to be one of the, uh, I think it's called Festival Friends. Um, let me just, let me say this about it. God needs to get us out of here. Amen? Come on now. Are you with me? Because God needs to get us out. of. I mean, this is awesome. What we have here is awesome, right? But where we're going to really find him is in the lives of people that are hungry for him. In the lives of people that we probably don't know right now. Maybe some of them are your friends or neighbors and things like that. It's awesome. But you don't know what your faith means until you get your faith exposed to people that don't understand and don't see it. And have not experienced what you've experienced. Um, one of the things that we've experienced this past week um, is just a, a, such a wide variety of people. And many of them have been broken. And many of them have been hurting. And what we get to do is that we get to be Jesus to these people. We get to be the light of the world in darkness where people don't even know how dark it is. And God wants to get us out of here, okay? Uh, are you with me? Seriously. I, I mean, he wants to get us into an environment where we're able to see the fullness. We can see it in this place. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying we can't see the fullness of what the gospel means until we get exposed to people that we don't know, that don't know us, and especially people that are hungry or just learning about Jesus Christ. So if you have an opportunity to do that, um, pray with people, share with people. Um, if you're a festival friend, I think you have to have some training. So that means you need to go a little bit early uh, on, uh, fr on Saturday or Sunday um, so that they can train you so that you're going to be um, capable of doing that. And then there's another um, aspect to it um, that every one of us could spend a little bit of time doing, and that's the prayer tent. And the prayer tent is to pray for the festival, but it's also to pray for people who need prayer um, in the festival. So they're going to have a, they're going to have a tent set up and they're going to have people there available just to pray for people. When we went to Africa this past year, I was blown away. I was blown away by the things that I prayed for, things that I had never been exposed to uh, before. And I found God was faithful in that. It's an amazing opportunity, an amazing experience. And I want every one of you guys to get a chance um, to be there, to be there in that moment when God meets somebody. When, God, when they're asking questions and you're able to share from your heart and from what God gives you something that can change a life. 
So, and you guys are really faithful to do that, and I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. Um, I also want to say something about last Sunday. Um, of all the events that we went to, I know I'm prejudiced, okay? Uh, but of all the events that we went to and all the events that we were a part of, this blew my mind. Just what happened here at TCF and the way that people talked about the experience that they had last Sunday. Um, this, that was, this was the most explicitly spiritual thing. Every, every one of them was spiritual in some way. But in this place, we got to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. And we got to touch some people's hearts. And they got to experience worship and the presence of the Lord in a way that many of them haven't. I, I know the guy that I wrote for uh, was really moved by the whole thing. The guy that was like the, the warrior, you know, the, that, um, what was his deal? I think he received transfusions. Um, was it transfusion? I think it was transfusions in order to be able to go to Iraq. And uh, it, was, it was something. I was so grateful for you guys. So grateful for it. And we saw it everywhere we went. But, uh, and this was not the biggest one. It was one of the biggest events that we had. Um, but it was just one of the most powerful experiences that I've ever had on the Circle of Life. Um, and I thank you guys for that. And I also thank you for giving um, for uh, blood donations. Um, I think Susan gave, was that the first time she's ever given blood? And, uh, and, I'm, and I'm really proud of her for doing that because I know that it's not something that anybody wakes up in the morning and says, oh, good, you know, I get to, well, maybe some people do, um, you know, but to overcome that little pain, that little stick in order to give life, um, I was just really grateful for that. Okay, now the other thing is I want us to pray for Susan and uh, Tinder. They're going to Nicaragua, and this is a, this is a ministry time for them. It's not just a fact-finding uh, mission, and so they're going to be ministering. We want to pray for them this morning um, that God would open doors for them and give them you know, what they need in order to be effective in ministry. But also, um, I want you guys to be praying if God would have you to go on, on this trip. Because I know that God is sending us, and I know that God wants to send us internationally. I know that. I know that this, we're, we're going to have an opportunity here for people to actually get on the ground and minister to people that don't speak our language, don't have our culture, and have the same need for Jesus Christ that we do. So we're going to pray this morning for that, and I want you to pray, okay? Just with an open heart. Pray this prayer, okay? This is always a safe prayer. To, well, not safe, but this is the right prayer to pray. Uh, here am I, send me. So where do you want me to go? You don't start neutral like, God, if you want to send me, you say, I know that you want to send me. Here am I. Put, put yourself in that position where you're just saying, I'm at your disposal, God, and I'm ready and I want to go. Now just point me in the right direction, okay? All right, everybody with me on that? You guys are non-responsive today. I'm sorry, but <laughs> is everybody with me on that? Here am I. There we go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, um, for uh, Susan and Tinder. Uh, thank you, Lord Jesus, that they are an expression of your body and their expression of our body, Lord. They are right now hands and feet that are reaching out uh, to the people of Nicaragua and to uh, Philip and Social and the work that they're doing. I pray, God, that you would open doors of opportunity for them. I pray, Lord, you would open their eyes uh, Lord Jesus, and open their hearts with creativity to be able to say, how can TCF fit into this? How can TCF be a blessing to this? And how can we take what's going on there and take it to the next level? I pray for every one of us, Lord Jesus, 
every one of us, Lord, that we are so grateful to be where we are, but we are not content to stay where we are, Lord. That we're hearing that call, that draw, that upward call of the Spirit that is calling us out, that is sending us forth, that's thrusting us out, Lord, into the harvest. And I pray that every single one of us, Lord, old and young, um, in, in, in everything in between, that we would respond to the call this morning, Lord. That we would say, here we are, send us. Here we are, Lord Jesus. Let our great um, joy meet the world's great hunger. But they don't sometimes even know what they're hungry for. But we do, because we know you, Lord. We thank you for it, Lord. Bless the work. Bless what uh, Tinder and, uh, and uh, Susan are doing. And bless us, Lord Jesus, to be ready to hear and to receive uh, the opportunities that you put before us, Lord. And I just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, good. So um, this week, uh, David uh, is going to come and minister the word. So let's give him a good welcome as he comes to share. Yeah. Hallelujah. Amen. Oh, okay, yeah, the kids are released to go to children's ministry. Off they go. So it's a blessing to hear about the Circle of Life tour. We were all praying for you back here. A lot of prayers going up for you guys. And keeping in touch with you all through the week, it sounds like it was a huge success. So, man, thank you. And Thank you, body, for responding, and remember to pray for the team while they were out. Sounds like it was just an awesome, awesome blessing. So this morning, I am going to share kind of a standalone message. Um, we've, we, were, we just went through a series called the New Covenant Series, and we did it sort of in a preaching um, rotation style um, where me and Jay uh, Gaines and Caleb Canal and Brother Joe each kind of took a Sunday and went through... Um, went through a part of the New Covenant, a different aspect of the New Covenant. I hope you were blessed by that. I know it blessed me to di really dig into it myself. Um, this morning, what I'm going to share is more like a standalone, but it's something that I feel like God put on my heart um, even a few weeks ago and just began to work into my heart and just during my own personal devotion time. And uh, normally when He's doing that, when He's speaking to me, I, I normally know He's given me something for the body. And so I just kind of made a little note and uh, and. Uh, Quickly, an outline began to form and all that. And the Lord, um, you ever set your hand to do something and it's like boom, 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 boom. It's almost like it's done for you. That's kind of the way I felt like this went. So I really feel like God had a message that he wanted to speak to us this morning in the word that I'm going to share. It kind of came sort of easy, easier than some sermons, messages do. So I pray that this blesses you this morning. We are going to take a look at uh, Genesis chapter 16. Uh, and this is the story of Abraham well, at that time, his name was Abram, his wife, Sarai, who later became Sarah, and an Egyptian servant girl named Hagar. So if you have your Bible in whatever format it's in, uh, and you want to turn to um, Genesis chapter 16, used to, you would hear pages starting to flip right about now. These days, you see iPhones opening up, and that's awesome. But that's where we're going to be this morning. And before we kind of launch into the message uh, which I've titled, The God Who Sees Me, I want to kind of give you a setup or a little bit of background before we launch into Genesis, into this story uh, out of Genesis 16. Um, if you remember, 
Abraham, Abram was given a promise that he was going to, God had called him to come away from his homeland, from the people that he knew and from everything he knew, and to go towards a land that God was going to show him that he was going to give to him as an inheritance. And so Abram and his wife Sarah and, and the whole family set out from their homeland. They headed towards Canaan, to the, towards the promised land. And uh, they're moving and they're uh, in that direction. They get uh, to uh, the pro- edge of the promised land. God in there gives Abram a promise, a big promise, that he's going to be uh, the father of many nations, that, that he's going to have a son, and this, this son is going to uh, be the seed, be a seed, an offspring that is going to bless many nations. It's a given promise. And when Abraham receives this promise, he's about 75 years old. Well, let about 10 years go by and nothing has happened yet. And so his wife Sarah at the time is growing impatient. She knows that they've been given the promise to have this child. Nothing is happening. She's getting impatient. She goes to Abram and she says, you know, maybe we need to help God out. Maybe what he's waiting for is to us to jump in and give him a little hand. So what I'm going to do, you ever been there? Feel like you got to help God out a little bit? So what she does, what she proposes is she says, you know, my maidservant, uh, an Egyptian slave girl named Hagar, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give her to you and you can conceive with her and we'll bear the promised child through her. Sounds like a great idea, right? Well, she didn't have to twist Abram's arm for this, so he willingly went along with it and he did. He he, uh, uh, conceived with Hagar and she became pregnant. And the Bible says that Hagar began to treat her mistress, Sarah, with contempt. And that's another way of saying that once she became pregnant with Abram's child, she began to lose a little bit of respect for Sarah. She began to treat her with a little bit less respect, uh, kind of began to maybe gloat a little bit about it, or maybe just wasn't acting in line with what a maidservant should act like towards her master. Well, this infuriated Sarah. And so what did she do? She blamed Abram. (laughs) She turned and she blamed Abram. And she said, I put my maidservant in your hands. You got her pregnant, and now she's treating me terrible. So she blames it on him. She compounds her error by blaming someone else. So Abram says to her, okay, well, here's what you do. She's your maidservant. You do with her as you see fit. You handle the situation however you see best. So Sarai decides to, she goes to Hagar, and she lets her have it. And we, it's a ver- we don't know if it's a verbally harsh thing or a physically harsh or both, but the Bible says that she treats Hagar, her maidservant, harshly, so harshly that Hagar decides to run away. And so she runs out into the wilderness, and this is where we're going to pick the story up from Genesis chapter 1, verse uh, 1 through 14, Genesis 16, 1 through 14. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. And it was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. Uh, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. And then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. And then he gives her a little bit of information about the son she's going to, uh, that, that she's carrying. She's going to name him Ishmael. She kinda, God kind of gives her a little spoiler, spoiler alert on what his character and nature are going to be like. 
So we're going to fast forward. She, so after this encounter with God, it says she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. And in Hebrew, that's Elroy. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And that is why the well was called Be'er Laha Roi. And it is still there between Kadesh and Bered. Be'er Laha Roi means the well of the God who sees. So this is the first time that we hear this name used in the Bible. Hagar ascribes a name and a characteristic to God. He is the God who sees me. The God who sees We're going to talk a little bit about what that means to us today. The fact that God sees you and sees me. Because there's a lot to uh, that name and a lot to that quality of God. There's um, three things that come along with God seeing us. Three qualities, three characteristics of His being. When God sees us, He becomes to us also not only the God who sees us, but He is the God who knows us. He is the God who cares. And He is the God who provides. And we're going to unpack all three of these attributes today. See how they applied in Hagar's situation. See how each one of these things applies to us. God is the God who sees us. I remember when I was a kid... um, I was at uh, Tyler State Park uh, with my family. We used to come over uh, to Tyler State Park from Waco every summer. We would meet my grandparents halfway. They lived in Longview, and we'd meet up at Tyler State Park for camping. And um, I remember one time we were there, and we were out at the swimming area. And, um, and so if you're familiar at all with Tyler State Park, there's a little beach, and there's a little concrete pier out in the water. And if you look to your left, about maybe 50 yards down, there's a pier and me and my cousin, um, and every, I think everybody's got one of these cousins, and you might be, be this cousin, but you know, one of those cousins that just can't stay out of trouble. Like No matter what the instruction is that's given, he's got to do the opposite of what was given. So he and I, we decide we want to go down to that pier and, and jump off of it a few times. So I tell my dad, he's, at, he's, he's on the beach, I say, Dad, hey, uh, uh, me and Rusty are going to go down and, uh, and jump off the pier. Is that cool? We're about 10 years old. And uh, 10 or 11, and, uh, and my dad said, yeah, you, you can do that. But we were in the water at the time. He said, but what I want you to do, I want you to get out of the water, and I want you to walk up and around and over to the pier. I don't want you to, to, to uh, swim it. We were on these little styrofoam surfboards or something. My dad said, I want you to get out of the water. Okay, walk over there. So we're in the water. My dad turns his back, and he goes up a little, a little further down the beach. Well, my cousin Rusty's already swimming for the pier, you know. He's like, come on, come on. So I'm like trailing behind him. I'm thinking, this is a bad idea. This is a real bad idea. But the shore kind of curves as it goes around to the pier, and there's some big cattails sticking up. So we get to these cattails, and I'm looking back the whole time, and suddenly I notice I can't see the beach anymore. You know, we're down, down behind the cattails. So I'm thinking, they can't see me at all. You know, I'm so well camouflaged behind these cattails, so I'm like, okay, I'll follow you. So I follow Rusty, we go over to the pier, we jump off the pier a few times, we get out, we walk back to the beach, and uh, to give the appearance that we did what we were supposed to do, 
We get back over to the beach, and my dad is standing there. And you know how you can always tell when your dad or your mom or when you're busted? And we come walking up, and he's standing there, and he said, why didn't you do what I told you to? And you know, my cousin's like, oh, we, we just swam a little way, and then we got out. And he's like, no. So, you know, we were busted. And so for the rest of the day, our time there, we had to sit up on the beach and watch everybody else swim. It was a real downer. But what's funny is that I had not been back to Tyler State Park in years. And Emily and I moved over here in 97. And I decided to go back out and check it out. Go back and see Tyler State Park again. And uh, as a 22 or 23 year old at that time, I was standing on that beach and I was looking and I was thinking, man, did this like shrink? You know, I was like, what in the world? You know how when you're an adult, everything just kind of shrinks? Everything looks, when you're a kid, everything looks so huge and big. As an adult, everything looks so much smaller. And I'm standing there looking at that. And then I remembered that incident. And I turned to the left and I looked where my cousin and I had swam. And at the time we were swimming, it seemed like they were a million miles away. Out of our, we were out completely out of their sight. But when I'm standing there as an adult from that perspective, I <laughs> was we were like 30 yards away and the cattails that I thought were creating such an incredible barrier were just you know you could see right there you could see us the whole time but that had been such a mystery to me my whole childhood was like how did my dad see me how did he know did he have some superpower you know what what then as an adult I'm, I'm seeing things from a different perspective and I'm like what what a dumb kid you know so so clearly can see us and but in a lot of ways People live their lives that way in regards to God. And they wonder, can He see me? Not only the things that I'm, not do, that I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing, but does He see me when I really need Him? You know, and we're like the kid behind the, the cattails. You know, sometimes He seems just out of view. But from His perspective, He sees everything. He sees the entirety. He sees the beginning from the end, he sees the good, he sees the bad, he sees everything in between. He is the God who sees, and he's also the God who knows. He knows. Look at this question uh, that God asks Sarah here. Uh, he says, The angel of the Lord found, I'm sorry, ask Hagar. He says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said to Hagar, Servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Do you think the Lord didn't know the answer to that question? God never asks a question that He doesn't already know the answer to. But you know what? Good teachers do that. Good leaders do that. They ask questions to make you think. To make you really think. And, that, and some of the best teachers I've ever had that was their teaching style. They didn't just give you information. They, they, they got down to it by asking you those questions that made you really get down into your own heart or get down into your own mind and really think. And this is what he asked her. Where have you come from? And where are you going? And there's something deeper to the first part of that question. Where have you come from? It's very similar to some Hebrew language that's used when it's talking about the children coming out of Egypt. Very, very similar phrasing, very similar wording. I was reading some scholarly work on this, uh, just this one phrase. And it's, it's really pro more properly translated like this. 
Where have you been brought from? Where have you been brought from? Well, where had she been brought from? Let's think about Hagar's life for just a minute. Not just the circumstance with Sarah and Abraham. Let's go back a little bit. Where did Hagar come from? How did this Egyptian slave end up with Abraham and Sarah, the family of families? How did this happen? Well, if you remember when Abraham and Sarah were first in the land at the, at the, at the entrance to the promised land, a famine broke out and there was no food. So where did they go? They turned and went south down to Egypt. And when they went into Egypt, this is where Abraham did his famous thing where the Pharaoh saw Sarah and saw that she was beautiful and wanted to take her into his harem. And Abraham chickened out, was afraid to say she's my wife for fear that uh, Pharaoh might kill him. So he lied and said she's really my sister. And so he takes Sarah into his harem. Well, then God steps in and sends plagues upon Egypt and in a sense punishes Egypt for this. Pharaoh comes into Pharaoh's knowledge that this is from God because he has done something against Abraham. So he goes to him and he, he gives Sarah back to him and he sends him out. When he sends him out with a blessing to kind of make up for the wrong that he's done, he sends him out with possessions and livestock and a bunch of slaves from Egypt. And the scholarly uh, work that's been done on this says that it was probably about that point that Hagar was given to Abraham to take with him as, his own, as their own possession. So God, first of all, takes Hagar out of a plague-ridden ridden land, out of slavery, and puts her in not only a family, but in the family of families. The family out of which the promised Messiah is going to come. He gives her an identity. And then not only that, She's not only in the family, but she is put at, you know, at, the, at the table. She is basically the handmaiden, the top servant of the first lady, uh, Sarah. So God rescues her out of a land of plague, no identity, bondage, slavery, puts her into a new family, gives her position, and gives her a new identity. That's where she has been brought from. So let me ask you a question today. As you're thinking about this. Where have you been brought from? What's your story? Where did God find you? Where were you when He reached into your life and began to call you to Himself and draw you to Himself? What was your place in life? Were you in bondage? Did you have identity? Where did God find you? What's your story today? Because that's a good question to remind ourselves of. Where have we been brought from? Because the answer to the first, that first question, the first part of that, really helps us with the second question, which is, where are you going? Where are you going? And I want to help you with that today because, you know, sometimes it's easy when you get into places of, of trial or disappointment or discouragement or things haven't worked out the way you intended them to or hadn't didn't work out the way you wanted them to relationships failures personal failures it's easy to forget like hagar when you're in that crisis moment what god has brought you through up to that point it's easy to forget that sometimes but it's so important to stop and look back and go wait a minute 
God has brought me through so many things up to this point. That should build faith in us that He's going to take us the next step. He's not done yet. There's still a plan. There's still a promise, just like there was for Hagar, just like there is for you today. So the second part of this question is, where are you going? Where was she going? Where was Hagar headed? Well, you probably don't have a map out right now, but where is Shur? Shur is on the road back to Egypt. Hagar was returning to the only thing that she knew. Yes, it was bondage. Yes, it was slavery. Yes, she's headed back to a place uh, that, where she had no identity. She's headed back to Egypt, but it's what she knew. It's what she was familiar with. Think about that for a minute. Because that's the same temptation for us. That's the same thing that we're tempted to do when we get into moments where we fail or where disappointment comes or discouragement comes. We find ourselves in this place where nothing makes sense anymore. It's easy to retreat back to old familiar patterns and places and bondages. But God's got an abundant life for us. He's calling us to trust Him even through the failures, even through the disappointments, even through the hardships. We were not created for Egypt. And I don't know what your Egypt is. I don't know what your land of bondage is or what God has brought you out of, but you were not created to live there. Amen? Amen. You were created for freedom. It is for freedom that you have been set free. Don't go back to Egypt. There is nothing for you there. Do you hear me? There is nothing back there for you. That's the old life. That's the old way. And when Jesus Christ came into your life, behold, the old is gone and all things are made new. So look back on your life for a minute. Let God ask you that question for a moment. Where have you been brought from? How have you seen Him move in your life? How have you seen Him reach in and rescue you in your darkest hour? Or comfort you in your most broken time? How have you seen His faithfulness in your life? And let that be the answer for where you're headed. I'll tell you where you're headed. No matter what your condition is right now, if you're headed the right direction, you're running into Him. You're pressing into Him. You're pushing into all that He has for you. Amen? He's the God who knows you. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows where you've been. And He knows where you're headed. And He cares about you today. He cares enough to ask that question to you. Psalm 139 David mentions this. This is one of my favorite psalms because it really illustrates God's great um, uh, knowing of us. Look how many times David says this in the beginning of this psalm. You have, uh, Psalm 139, 1 through 10, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down, and you are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If, my, if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn and if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. 
If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. He lands at the foundation for everything that he just said. The fact that God knit us together in our mothers. Well, think about that for a minute. There are no mistakes. God doesn't make mistakes. Amen? Nobody is a mistake. If you're here today and you're breathing and you have a pulse, then you have a purpose. God created you. God made you. God formed you and knit you together in your mother's womb. And because of that, we go back to the top of the psalm. He knows you. He knows when you sit. He knows when you rise. He knows your thoughts. He, he, he knows when you go out. He knows when you come in. He knows what you're about to say. He knows what you're about to not say. He goes before you. He hems you in and hedges you in on all sides. He created you. He knows you. So find comfort in that today. Find solace in that today. Because you know what the lie of the enemy is? He's not watching. He's not watching you. God's busy. He's got a lot on his plate. You think he cares about your little life? Yes. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And if you're feeling that from the enemy today, if you're feeling that, this is a good psalm to fire back at him with. Amen? Let this be ammunition for you today and this week. God knows you. He knows you. He sees you. Let's move on. The second, the, uh, second uh, characteristic in a God who sees us is that He's also a God who cares. He's a God who cares. What does that mean? He cares. What does it mean that we care for people? Well, it kind of in our culture and our way of understanding things when we care for someone we have you know a certain measure of compassion for them we have a certain measure of feelings for them we have a burden for them we, they're on our hearts they're on our minds we care but there's a difference between caring for someone and taking care of someone right because you can care about somebody and it but it can be a passive thing you care about them and they're on your heart and mind but you don't ever take the next step and like make it an active thing where you go take care of them. But that's not God. That's not God. He's the God who cares for us, and He's the God who takes care of us. But it's a process. God's got a part in taking care of us, and we have a part. There's a familiar passage of Scripture that really illustrates this and speaks to it. 1 Peter 5, 6-7 says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Now what we tend to do, and I've done this for many years, we focus on the verse 7, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you part. And what we'll even do is we'll kind of mistranslate this and we'll say that verse 7 is a complete sentence. So we'll put a period at the end of you and then say, cast all your cares and anxieties on the Lord for He cares for you. But that's not the way it's actually originally written. That's just a phrase for, that's just a thought for thought translation that we've kind of, maybe a lot of us have gotten very familiar with. The way it's really written is, 
Verse 7 is what's known as, and I'm going to give you some grammar, so don't get bored on me, okay? But just follow me for a second. Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you is what's known in grammar as a subordinate clause. Right? You remember that, right? Yeah. What's the action of a subordinate clause? It supports the main idea of the sentence before it. It points you back to what was just said. It's the supporting idea or thought of the sentence that was just spoken. So what's the main idea of the sentence that was first? What's the main idea of verse 6? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. That's the main idea of this verse. That's the main point. It's humility so that God can reach into your pit and pick you up and lift you out or exalt you. And the supporting idea of that is casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. You following me? So here's, here's the point of this. Think about it deeply. 6 and 7. Not casting your anxieties and cares on the Lord is telling the Lord, I've got this. I want you to help to a degree, but I've got, the, I've got this. I can handle this. That's not humility. That's not humbleness. That's choosing to keep one foot in the pit and reaching for God and reaching for the pit. Okay, that's, that's tension. I've lived in it. Have you? I bet we all have at some point. That's tension. Here's what God is after. God's not only after your anxieties and your cares and your stresses, He wants to go for the root of those anxieties and those cares and those stresses. Because that's what He wants to to deliver you from. But a lot of times people go to the Lord and they're like, and I've done this. Lord, I've got so much anxiety and I've got so much worry and I've got stress with this and stress with that. Can you give me peace? Can you give me peace to cover me through this season or to get me through this? It's like I'm asking God for a band-aid. It's like going in for surgery because you've got something inside you that needs to come out. But then right before you go under, you tell the surgeon, hey, just give me something to make me feel better and we're good. Let me, let me just feel better. And the surgeon's like, I'm not here to treat your symptom. I'm here to treat the source of your symptom. I want to get down to the root of what's causing you anxiety. I want to get down to the root of what's causing you such burden. Why you're under such stress. That's what God is after in us. He wants to get down to the root cause of our anxieties and our cares and our burdens. We have to let Him. That's our part. His part is the deliverance part. His part is the setting us free part. Our part is giving it to Him and letting Him have it. And the only way to do that is through humility. And when we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. Think of the hand of a surgeon. You humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. He can do what you can't. He can deliver you. Those things that we refuse to give Him that are causing the stress and the anxiety, you know what those are? Those are idols a lot of the time. So those are things that we are clinging to for our peace or for our security or for our identity. 
That's what those are. You know what an idol is? I've given you this definition before. An idol is anything you have to ask permission from before you can obey God in its plain form. Anything you need to ask permission from before you can obey God has now become an idol in your life. And that can be financial, that can be a relationship, that can be an addiction, that can be an over-obsession with something. But anything that you have to, before you can invest more time with God or go in the direction of obedience with Him, that you have to go back to and go, I don't know, this might affect my thing. That's now become an idol. And it also will eventually become a great source of anxiety and stress in your life. And God doesn't want us living that way. We were not created to live that way. Amen? We were created for abundant life. Jesus died not to give us a half-life, not to give us a partial life. He died to give us an abundant, full life. So let him just let him let him massage that into your heart this morning as he's been massaging it into my heart the last two or three weeks in a big way. So the last part of this, the God who sees is also he's the God who knows, he's the God who cares, and he is the God who provides. The Hebrew name Elroi is really close to another Hebrew name of God. That's, uh, that's given to him. It's only off by one letter. And so, this other name really kind of points back to the first name. In, um, the scholar, scholarship done on this says that, you know, that this other name is really a derivative of the name that uh, Hagar gave him. And here it is. So, Elroi is the God who sees me. And Elroi is God my shepherd. In English, they sound exactly the same. Elroi and Elroi. There's really no distinction. If you say it with a, a Hebrew accent, I'm sure you got a on the H. Elroi. But they're really close. They're very similar. And here's the understanding to this that a good shepherd is a shepherd who sees. A good shepherd is a shepherd who's aware of what sheep need. He knows the sheep. He cares for the sheep. He provides for the sheep. He's a good shepherd. He sees the sheep. He doesn't take his eyes off the sheep. When the sheep are under attack, he doesn't run away like the hired hand. He stays and he fights. He's a good shepherd. That's who Jesus is. In fact, in the New Testament, as Jesus comes to reveal the heart of the Father, one thing that He repeatedly says about Himself, or in references made to Him, is that He is the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd. There's a, a scripture that really reveals his heart. In Matthew 9, 35-36, it says, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and confused like sheep without a shepherd. And that's where he comes in. Listen. If you feel distressed and confused, this is how Jesus is looking at you. Not with judgment. He's not looking at you with, with folded, you know, folded arms and doubled up fists. He's looking at you with compassion today. He's the good shepherd. And when He sees confused, distressed sheep, the heart of a shepherd comes out. 
And what He wants to do for you is the same that a good shepherd would do for sheep in this condition. He wants to come near to you. He wants to draw you near to Him. He wants to take care of you today. He wants to lead you. He wants to give order to your chaos. He wants to bring peace into your situation. And I'm not talking about partial peace. God doesn't deal in partial peace. He deals in shalom. He deals in the fullness and the completeness, the wholeness of peace. And that's what He wants to give you today. He wants to give you the only thing that a good shepherd can give. He's got it available for you today. So here's what we're going to do. If the worship team can come back up, we're going to get ready to close. Uh, and I just want to give you a moment to sit in the, in the presence of the Lord today. I've said a lot of things that maybe have caused you to question your own journey and where you're at right now. I know the, as the Lord's been speaking to me over the last few weeks, and, and you know, there's been a lot of things that I've had to call into question. There's been a lot of things that I've had to examine closely and say, okay, Lord, where, where, where have you brought me from? And right now, in response to that, where am I headed? And what are the things in my life that I'm allowing to cause anxiety and bring stress? What are the things that I'm obeying more than you that is bringing that into my life? What are those things? I've had to come to this point, you know, over the last few weeks as I've been dealing with this uh, message myself. You know, what are those things? Just this point of surrender to the Lord. And so that's what we're going to do for a moment. We're going to do it in a very practical way. Um, I feel like the Lord just laid on my heart really for us to do this uh, as a body. There was... Um, there was a, back in the, many, many years ago, way back in the days of the Puritans, when they pursued God, and when they came into their quiet time with God, they had literally an exercise that they would do. And this is the way the exercise went. When they were going to surrender something or release something to the Lord, they would turn their hands down like this. And they would say, Lord, I give you whatever my struggle is, whatever, whatever it is that you're putting your finger on. Whatever it is that you're saying needs to go, I release that to you. And then after they would do that, they would turn their hands palm up like this, like we do in worship. And then they would say, Lord, whatever you want to give me, I receive from you. Whatever new strength or grace or, or wisdom or whatever I need from you, I open my hands to receive right now in this moment. So we're going to do this just as a, as a body, as a way to close. We're going to practice this just for a moment. So I want you to just close your eyes and clear your minds for a moment. And you can just put your hands on your legs, you know, like on your thighs. Palm down. And just be still for a moment and ask the Lord, what do you want me to let go of today? What do you want me to release today?
So Heavenly Father, we, we hear you. And we know in this moment that whatever you're calling us to let go of or surrender to you is for our good. And so Jesus, we just say right now, in this moment, we let go. And we release it to you. And we just say it's yours. With your eyes closed and your head bowed, now we're going to turn our hands palms up. We're going to turn our hands palms up and we're going to wait on the Lord for just a minute. What is it you need from Him today? What is it that you need Him for in your life? What, where is their lack? Where is their pain? Where is their brokenness? Confusion? What do you need today? Just ask Him for it right now. receive this promise this morning Psalm 23 the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he makes me lie down in the green pastures and he leads me beside still waters of peace he restores my soul he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake and even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow after me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. All right, we're going to come to the communion table this morning. Um, everybody's welcome at this table. The only, uh, only thing God requires is that we uh, prepare ourselves, that we um, are intentional about we're, what we're doing here, that we're not just going through the motions, but that we're, this is a significant event. Um, if you're going through uh, Rooted uh, and reading the, uh, the readings for this week and the devotions for this week, uh, it begins by talking about um, the reality of hardship and suffering. And I was just struck by how communion is for that. And the, the, uh, the context in which Jesus instituted uh, communion was probably one of the darkest days that his disciples uh, would ever know. They didn't know how bad it was going to be. They just knew that he was, over and over again, he told them what was coming. 
And in order to prepare them for that, but more than that, looking forward to us today, he gave them something to do over and over again to remember him. And that's what he wanted us, that's what he wants us to do today. So you may not be going through a really difficult time right now. I suspect that most of us in one way or another are, because um, that's life. Some things are great, some things are really hard. Um, but this is, this is the provision that he has made um, for us. This is a statement of, of, uh, of praise, of, uh, and it's a rejoicing. And what he, was, what he told them was, do this in remembrance of me. He was giving them something to look back on so that they could face the future, even if they didn't know what was coming. They face the future based on what he has already done. And that's what this is for, because we've got bad memories sometimes. We get overwhelmed sometimes by the present, by the, the, the things that are around us. And, and we kind of lose our way maybe, and we have a hard time seeing forward. And he said the best way to see forward is to see back, have a good memory. And this is one of the things that he wants to implant um, in our hearts. Um, so let's prepare ourselves as we come uh, to this table today. Just like David has already done, I think that's a great preparation. Um, hurts, hang-ups, disappointments, fears, failures, all of those things. We just put those down. Just put those down as we come to this table. And grace and peace and hope and confidence in Christ and looking forward to the future. Even though you may not be able to see all the details, you know what's coming because glory is coming. And we receive that from the Lord this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to this table in accordance with your word and obedience to what you told us, Lord. You said, do this in remembrance of me. You took the, the old covenant um, uh, Passover meal and you completed it. So it's not just going through the motions and it's not just a ritual and it's really not just remembering, but it's looking forward with hope as well. This is a statement of the God who sees. This is a statement of the fact that you know our condition and you have made provision for us, bread and a cup. As we come to the table this morning, Lord, we lay it all down, our successes and our failures. We lay it all down, Lord, our possessions, our position. We lay it all down, Lord. Our hopes and dreams, we lay it all down. As we come to this table, Lord, we come just like you did, saying, not my will, but yours be done. And in that we find you, and in that we find fullness, and in that we find completion, and in that we find our provision. And as we eat this bread, and as we drink from this cup, we proclaim your death and resurrection until your return, yes, Lord, until we see your face. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I have the elders who are serving this morning and their wives?